Who is the greatest? Now, there's a lot of debate in our world today about a lot of different areas about who is the greatest. Now, you know me, I love to play basketball, so I'm going to use a basketball illustration with you today. Uh, play basketball all the way through high school and still play from time to time. Whenever it's available, I like to go play. Uh, but my, my particular feel on who's the greatest basketball player is Michael Jordan. You know, uh, some of you may argue you might be uh, grew up in a different era and you may say Bill Russell or you might say Wilt Chamberlain or or even Larry Bird. Even that might be some of your favorites there, uh, some of the greatest. But um, here's a few. Some of these folks, you'll recognize their names. Shaquille O'Neal. Some of y'all may know who Shaquille O'Neal is. Pretty big fella. Uh, made an impact at LSU, went on to the NBA, won a few championships there. He says his top 10 are Magic Johnson, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Steph Curry, Allen Iverson, Tim Duncan, Carl Malone, and Isaiah Thomas. That's who he says, and himself. He's, he's in that too. Um, so uh, that's his top 10. Now, Dr. J, some of y'all know who Dr. J is, one of the smoothest players to ever play. Dr. J, he says his top 10 are Jerry West, Oscar Robertson, Elgin Baylor, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Carl Malone, and Tiny Archibald. Now, some of y'all may know who Tiny Archibald is. I don't. So, undoubtedly, he must be pretty good if Dr. J says that he was a pretty good ball player. Now, people, people fussed at him. People fussed at him. How dare you? You left out everybody who's out of, basically out of the, the modern era. He said, well, they've not finished their careers. He said, let them finish their careers, and we'll stack them up against the others. And so he's, he's trying to figure out who's the greatest in, in basketball. The uh, Athletic Sports News ranks them this way. So they, they had a top 75 players of all time. Okay, so theirs might be a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more research into who they think is the greatest. They said Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, Magic Johnson, Wilt Chamberlain, Larry Bird, Shaquille O'Neal, Tim Duncan, and Kobe Bryant. Now, I, wanna sh I wanted to show you how different people view the greatest basketball players of all time, but I want you to see today how Jesus views the greatest of all time. I want you to see how Jesus views the greatest of all time. Jesus doesn't view greatness in reference to your skill, but rather to your spirit. That's how Jesus sees us. He sees us not by our skill, nor by our size, but by our spirit. And that's how he gauges greatness, okay? The Bible is never against greatness, it's against pride. Okay, I want you to understand there's a difference between being great and being prideful, Okay? There's a lot of great people in the Bible that were humble, and they're, they're applauded for that. And so we, our desire, our desire should not be to be great. It should be a humble servant who is converted and dependent on Jesus Christ. And you'll see, these are the characteristics that Jesus says are important to those who want to be great. Those characteristics are important for those who want to be great. So... Um, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 18, entitled A Different Spirit, verses 1 through 4. I will ask you to stand. This is a lot less scripture than I normally read on Sunday morning. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Scripture will be on the screen. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him 
set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So as we look here in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, three things that really stands out to me that Jesus, as he uses this this acted parable, he uses this child and it's as a representation or a representative of the characteristics expected of a believer and a disciple. And it's contrasted against earthly greatness. You know, as I mentioned to open as the introduction, talked a lot about these guys in the NBA. And, um, you know, I don't watch a lot of NBA until it gets down to the, fi- to the, to the championship, usually Western Conference Championship, the Eastern Conference, and then the finals. I usually don't watch a lot of it because it's just long and prolonged and it's a bunch of drama and too much time. And I ain't got time for it. But I can appreciate the athleticism and the skill. I can appreciate the time they have put in, the devotion uh, that they have put in. Guys, I want to tell you something. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to put the time in. We've got to put the time in. You're not going to be a disciple that is, that is great in the sight of the Lord if, you're, if every little whim takes you away from the Word of God, takes you away from the will of God, and takes you away from individual worship of God and corporate worship of God. You will not be great. And when I say great, I'm not talking about in the eyes of man. I'm talking about in the eyes of God. Because that's not important. I mean... It's nice everyone wants to get patted on the back, to be told you've done a good job. That's good. But ultimately, the greatest uh, commendation that you're ever going to receive is on the day that you die and the Lord says to you, welcome in to uh, my home, my good and faithful servant. That's the best commendation that anyone can receive. So our goal is not really to make our names great here, but to make His name great here so that when we get there, He says, good job, you've been a great servant. It's not about our name here. It's about Jesus' name here, for sure. And we need to make his name great. So as we look at this scripture there in chapter 18, looking there at verse 1, Matthew uh, records what happens here in the life of Christ. And listen, we could take a lot just out of the life of Matthew. I know I'm not preaching through Matthew. If so, it would probably take me a good long while, and Hebrews is taking me long enough, right? So... If we look here in Matthew, we know that Matthew, just from his old character, he was a tax collector, right? He was a Jewish person who had been recruited to take up, collect, uh, take up collection of taxes uh, from his own people, which was one of the most hated positions in all of the area. But yet Christ called to him, he followed him, and served him faithfully in his time. And so, here is Matthew recording this. Because Matthew, you got to think, Matthew is probably thinking, I am the least of all these guys. I'm the least of all these guys. I mean, I turned my back on my own people. I was taking taxes from them. Not only that, I was taking more to pad my own pockets. I was doing a lot. I'm probably the least of all these apostles. So it's interesting that we have the greatest description here in Matthew's gospel. All four gospels cover, cover this conversation to some degree. But Matthew covers this in a greater degree. And he says, uh, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, this is a very prideful question. 
Because they're curious about themselves. They're wondering who's going to be the greatest. Who is the greatest? I mean, we could argue and say, well, they might be talking about who's already there. Maybe that's what they were thinking. Who's the greatest there? But honestly, they were really talking about which of us is going to be the greatest. You know, um, James and John, their mama wanted them to be on each side of the... They, you know, she compelled Jesus saying, hey, can my son sit on either side of you in heaven? He's like, that's not for me to decide. One thing, there's not enough room on one side. And on the... Because that's where the father's sitting. But, uh, you know, I can't speak to the other, you know? So anyway... Uh, then Jesus, this is how Jesus illustrates who is great in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. Who is greatest? So Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. You know, when I think about, when I think about that, you know, um, they're, they're all around. It must have been a pretty big group that was all around Jesus. And, and uh, kids are around, you know, kids love Jesus. Scripture is pretty clear about that. He, children love Jesus, so children are running around. The disciples are here. And there's usually always a big throng of people that are following him everywhere he goes. And the disciples are like, hey, Lord, who's the greatest? You know, they're walking around. And Jesus goes, hmm. hey, 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 little man, can, can you come over here for just a minute? And he walks over to him, and Jesus, I can only imagine, he picks him up and sits him down in there. And he's, you know, he's just kind of talking to him. You know, because Jesus is just, you know, he cares about people. He cares about everybody, no matter where they are in their stage of life. He cares about people. And he's talking to them, he says, and then he, he looks back up to the disciples. And he says, surely I say to you, unless you are converted. So that's where I'm going to stop first. I want you to understand this. The first thing, if you want to be great, and you want to have a different spirit of greatness about you, your heart's got to change. There's got to be a turn. The King James Version says you must turn. New King James says converted. You've got to be changed inside. You've got to quit worried about who's great on the earth. It doesn't matter who's great on this earth. Listen, when I was a young person, I played basketball all the time. I really wanted to be considered a really good basketball player. I really wanted to be a great basketball player. I worked pretty hard uh, at times to really be a great basketball player. I thought I did some great things. But then I look around, and especially like today, I, I, I consider uh, there was a, there's a young man named Zach that, that comes to our Baptist Campus Ministries on Wednesdays, and he plays for Bevel State Basketball. Okay, and uh, he was faithful every week coming to Bevel State uh, to our Baptist Campus Ministry, and I got to know him pretty good. And he came down here and played basketball with us one week. Listen, I'm gonna tell you something. I ain't never been that good. Okay, I ain't never been that good. He's playing above the rim, like his elbows just about touching the rim. About every time he jumped, without any effort, shooting three pointers, making everything he took. He's a great basketball player, but he's playing it at a community college. I'm not trying to say anything negative, but that's pretty amazing. He's an amazing basketball player. Now, can you only imagine if you're playing at Alabama or Auburn and how great those players are? And then you think about those that play at Duke and North Carolina and Texas and maybe some of those big, like, blue blood type basketball schools and how great those guys are. And then you got to think about the bench warmers in the NBA or those that are playing what they've got now, the G League, and how great those guys are. And now you've got the NBA. Man, the probability of making it to the NBA is very small. Very, very small. But I was playing with him down here, and he made me look silly 
And I thought, you know, I'm still, you know, I can't move. <laughs> I can't move like I used to could. But I'm still a pretty good shooter. But man, he was making me look silly. You know why? Because I was trying to think about how great I was. I'm still trying to live in the past a little bit, just to be honest with you, you know. But, but when I think about that greatness here, that skill that he has, we, we think about people now, and we look at people, we, we hold like a Billy Graham, and we hold um, Ann, Ann Graham, uh, I can't think of her last name, Lots. I was thinking that was right, but I was going, when we think about people like that, and Body Bauckham, and we think about folks, John MacArthur, and we think about all these folks that are uh, real, uh, we hold them real high in the faith. But listen, it doesn't matter how great we think they are. What's going to matter is what God thinks they are, how great they are. If we don't, if we don't turn from our sins, listen, we, it, we are a people that in our own will and in our own lives, we are people that are going in the wrong direction and in the wrong spirit apart from Christ. That's what we're doing. I heard, uh, I heard an illustration one time. And uh, this gentleman had gotten off a plane. He was supposed to go speak at a church. And he got off that plane. And he, uh, he went and he was supposed to get a car. And uh, he got a rental car. And it was a really nice convertible rental car. And he got in that rental car, and he was driving that rental car, and he was driving that beautiful rental car on a really nice, well-paved road. But you know what? He kept driving, and then he realized, I'm going the wrong direction. It was really nice that he had a really nice car. It was really nice. It was a really nice road. It was, it was really good. But you know what? It did him no good because he's going in the wrong direction. Where he needed to be was a totally opposite direction. Guys, a lot of times we think in our flesh, we're, man, we're riding in a real nice car. We're doing real good things. It's not very bumpy. We're doing real good things. But you know what? You're going in the wrong direction. You're heading straight to hell apart from Christ. And if you don't accept Christ, excuse me, confess Christ as Lord, if you don't do that, then you're going in a real nice car on a real nice road to a really wrong destination for you. You need to turn, turn away. Turn, another word for that is repentance, is to turn away. You need to repent of your sins. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, he said, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, turn and believe the gospel. It's what we have to do. The first thing, the first characteristic of a new, different spirit is a converted spirit. If someone, listen, if someone is more intrigued with their own status than the status of Christ, then their motive and heart is wrong. Their motive and their heart is wrong. And when we look at this, and with Jesus picking up this child, you know, children normally embody uh, wonderful characteristics, the power, that they, they embody this power of wonder. They embody the power to forgive and to forget. Children embody this, this innocence. And God says, listen, you've got to turn. And you've got to become new. You think back to John chapter 3, where he's talking to Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. That's what he tells him. You must be born again. So what does that mean? That means that now you're learning. Everything starts over fresh and new, just like a newborn child. So when people are converted, when people turn, we've got to understand they might not be like you and I who've been saved and redeemed for many years and who should be living a less sinful life. 
They might still let a word slip every so often. They might go to the place they used to go and then, and then realize, man, I shouldn't have done that. I need to ask God to forgive me and really get that off my GPS of locations to go. But many times when people come to faith in Jesus Christ, we think, oh, you should be like a disciple and apostle of Christ. Yesterday you got saved. Today you should be writing a commentary. No. Give people grace. They're a little child, literally, in the faith. So we've got to take them along. And, but we've got to take them by the hand and walk them through what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's making the hard decisions that once was, you know, there's no decision to be made. I can go wherever I want to go. But now I've got to make a hard decision. Is this does this glorify God? Does this edify the church? Does this tarnish my reputation? I don't need to be great in front of other people, but I need to make wise decisions. People need to know that I'm a believer in Christ, so I, maybe I don't need to go here or, or say this or hang with this individual anymore because that's I've turned. I've been converted. And so Jesus here, he's, he's telling me, the first thing he says about this child is conversion. So I want you to understand the most important thing that we've got to do is be converted, be changed by the grace of God. That's the most important thing, a submitted and converted spirit, a different spirit. And like a child, you, you thrust yourself upon God and confess your need for Him. It's much like that child who's, who's afraid of the water in the swimming pool. But they sure ain't afraid of dad or mom who's down there in the water reaching out. Come on, just jump. I'm going to catch you. They thrust themselves upon the arms and the hands of that, of that parent. And they say, I trust that you're going to catch me. And even though I may be in the water, I'm not outside your arms. I think about that often. I think back when our kids were swimming and we'd go down to granddaddy's house and, and swim down there in his pool and them having them little floaties on their arms and jumping off and me catching them and jumping off and catching them. And eventually, you know, they're jumping off and I'm letting them land in the water, but then I'm scooping up right after they get in the water and because that's the same way it is in the faith. People come to faith, they get converted, they start jumping. We as a church, we start catching them. We start catching them and helping them out. Okay, you said this. You know, that might not have been the wisest way to say that. You might want to rethink your choice of words. Oh, you went here? Listen, I, I know that's what you're used to doing, but listen, let's talk about how we can change that, you know? I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to help you. You know, people will call me and, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor, I don't mean to call you. What do you mean you don't mean to call me? That's what I'm here for. You didn't dial my number by accident. You knew I had something to offer. Prayerfully, I'll have something to give. That's what I'm here for. We're here, here to, to help those, those young in the faith that have been converted to come along. Secondly, a dependent and trusting spirit. He says you need to become like little children. Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So you've got to be converted and be like little children. Little children are willing to be led. Little children are willing to be taught. Listen. If, you're a, if you say that you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, but your pride says, I know it all, you ain't quite got there yet. Okay? Pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Listen, you better be careful. Children are so willing to go where you lead them. 
They're willing to listen. I mean, uh, we got the kids up here on the stage, and and so and they were singing, and and some of them had not even I don't even know if some of them even heard that song before. And just to be honest with you, they didn't get to come. Some of them didn't get the opportunity to go to VBS, so they didn't <laughs> they didn't really know that song very well. But yet they were willing to come up here and stand and, and be a part because they're willing to learn. They're willing to learn to be what it. What does it mean to be a part of a group? What does it mean to be a part to give glory to God? If we sit here and say, well, I don't even want to be a part of that, or I don't want to take part in that. Well, we're just saying that we're not really converted. We're not really submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We're just doing what we think is going to save us from hell. There's a lot of people who think that uh, they're saved. They ain't got a lordship of Jesus Christ in their life, and they think they just got some kind of hell insurance. It don't work that way. It don't work that way. The Bible tells us, confess Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised from the dead. It doesn't say, hey, come down front and get some hell insurance. And then once he's Lord, he rules your life. There is now a new king on the throne. If you were in Sunday school this morning, you saw how when they tore up the scroll and they burnt it up, God came back and said, you know what? No more of your lineage will sit on the throne anymore. It's taken away from you. Listen, we've got to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We've got to do what He tells us to do. Walk the way He says to walk. Talk the way He says to talk. And submit to Him. Be converted. And be dependent. Trusting Him. We can notice how dependent children are upon parents and grandparents and guardians. And it's perfectly natural for a child to be so dependent. You know, in most situations, children aren't buying their own clothes. Children aren't buying their own food or maintaining their own homes. That's not normally how it works, is it? No, it's not. I'll tell you, even as uh, 21 and 19-year-olds, they're still not quite all there. Yet, they rarely doubt that they'll be clothed, fed, or without a home. They, they rarely doubt it. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's some situations, unfortunately, where parents have not been good parents. They've dropped the ball, and they have been sad. Pathetic, however you want to say it. And they've not done, and they've not been what God has intended for that position to be, mother and father. But I want to tell you this. We're grateful for those that step into those roles and love and guide and lead in whatever situation uh, those children are found because they need that. They need that. And see, we need a father who loves us. We need a father, and we need to be willing as little children to be led as children are led. We need that. Listen, without a recognition of one's fundamental inability to save oneself and without a subsequent reliance on God's mercy, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven. No one can enter. We've got to be people who are dependent and trusting in our spirit on Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man shall come to the Father except through me. It is through Him. So we must be dependent on Him as the way, the one that we follow. As we go through life's journey, we follow Him because He leads the way. He is the truth. We trust His Word. When He speaks, we listen. When He speaks, we obey. And where is that that He is speaking? It is here. So if you're never here, where are you? You're wandering. You're wandering.
like a sheep who's gone astray. You're wandering. People say, I don't know why God, what, what my purpose in life is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Right here. You can come to me. I don't know each individual's purpose in life. I know one thing it is to glorify God and to worship Him all the days of your life. That's part of what we do. But listen, everybody doesn't fill a pulpit. Everybody doesn't play a keyboard and lead vocally in worship. Everybody doesn't sing in a choir, which, you know, you're welcome to come join. Everybody isn't a Sunday school teacher. But everybody who has made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, you have confessed Him as Lord. Wherever your giftedness and skill has you at this moment, that is your mission field. So don't say, I don't have somewhere to serve. Yeah, you do. Wherever that may be. Some of you may be retired. You may say, well, I don't really have a job that I go to. You got grandkids? You got great-grandkids? You got a committee or a team in this church? Which, by the way, you need to fill those out and get those turned in in about a week or so. Because we need to get that done. We got committees and teams that you can serve on. There's some place that God can use your giftedness and your skill. Use it for the glory of God. For the edification of the church. And so that your giftedness may be used. And you may uh, be considered great in the eyes of God. Whether you get recognition here or not, that's not important. What's important is that we get that recognition from God the Father. And then lastly, a humble spirit. Go on and read there in verse 4. In chapter 18 of Matthew. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, we're, we're walking through an acting parable. Jesus has taken this child and set the child in the midst of them. That child, when Jesus called out to him, he came. That child, when Jesus told him where to stand, he stood. That child, when Jesus spoke about characteristics of children, he, didn't, he wasn't making faces, or at least it doesn't say this. I would like to believe that he wasn't making faces. He wasn't thrashing back and forth. Don't touch me. Don't tell me what to do. You ain't my daddy. You know, I don't know if you've ever had somebody say that to you. I have. Ain't nothing gets me fired up more than a disrespectful child or a disrespectful adult. Uh, anyway, but there's a, there's a few things that are frustrating in that area. This child had none of those characteristics. This child had none of those characteristics. It was a humble spirit. Jesus said, come, the child came. Jesus sat the child in the midst, the child stayed. Jesus spoke of the child, uh, the child listened. And it was not only a teaching lesson for those disciples, it was a teaching lesson for that child too, to understand that, you know what, what I have now is what I need to have forever. It's not that I need to change. Because honestly, you know what happens is we adults, we change. And we get hard. We get set in our ways. Our innocence is removed by whatever reason that might be, circumstance that might be. Our innocence is removed. We don't see things as child, children see those. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we need to be childish. Okay, there's a difference. God doesn't call us to be childish believers in Christ. He calls us to have a childlike faith in Christ. Childish, man, you know, 
most of you in here are parents or grandparents. If you're not, one day you will be. Or maybe you've got friends or family that have had children. And so you know that time's coming. You've seen how kids act. You know how kids act. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. Children are no by means by perfect. By, I mean, we all know we're all born into a sinful nature. So you've got to teach kids right. But the innocence there, the humility, the, the, the willingness to listen when they feel secure. We've got to have a humble spirit. And I also want you to notice too, Jesus, notice how the child is brought to prominence and position by Christ, not his own doing. Listen, we, we don't need to be trying to set ourselves up on a pedestal. It's not our place to, to promote ourselves in greatness. Okay? Jesus tells a parable of a man who came into a, into a, uh, it was a gathering. I want to say it's a wedding, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But the guy comes in and the Lord tells him, and he's telling him, don't sit too far forward. Because if you go into a place and you sit too far to the front in this wedding or this venue or whatever, it may be that the host of the venue comes in and says, hey, hey, listen, you're sitting, you're sitting in the wrong seat. You need to move to the back. And then you're humiliated. He says, no, sit in the back. And then the host can promote you as he sees fit. Listen, we don't need to think higher of ourselves than what we are. The disciples asked that question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's God's decision. That's Jesus' decision, not mine, not yours. You know, we, we look at a church and we look at different places where people serve and we, would, we love to put status into these positions. We put status into whether it be a Sunday school teacher or a staff member or a trustee or a deacon or the pastor or the music minister. But listen, we're all just servants of God called to different positions. We are all servants of God called to different positions. We are all held accountable by the word of God and by the life of Christ. So when you say Brother Blake or, or Brother Donald or, or somebody else, you know, be careful. Don't put us on a pedestal. That's just farther I've got to fall when I do sin. Don't put me on a pedestal. We need to elevate Christ. He is the one that we glorify. He is the greatest in the kingdom. And if he decides where we are, let's just live for him. And let him make the decision. It doesn't matter where I land here. You know, it, it, it might be God's will that I be a pastor for the rest of my life. I don't know. It might be God's will that I do something different. I don't know. But I'm going to seek him out. And no matter where I am, I'm going to seek to serve him faithfully. To serve him with a converted spirit. To serve him with a dependent and trusting spirit. Whether God says, Blake, it's not, you need to do something different right now. Or if God says, Blake, you need to, you need to dial back in this area right now. And you need to focus more on that. I've got to be dependent and trust him. That this is what he says for me. You need to trust for what he says for you. And in obedience, God will see greatness. God will see obedience and greatness. Because this is the deal. Obedience pours from a humble spirit. Many of you maybe have worked at a place where you're a manager. You're a boss. You've held some kind of authority. And you've had to ask someone or 
tell someone they need to maybe swap to a different position. Maybe they had to swap to a different shift. Maybe go from daytime to, to, to the evening. Or maybe even overnight or something like that. And how they receive that, it reveals a lot about their spirit. We need to have a spirit of Christ. We need to have the, the spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit. We need to be indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We need a humble spirit. Listen, concern for personal greatness is the direct opposite of the concern of true discipleship. And the concern for personal greatness is also the opposite of the submission required by the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Personal greatness is not what we're looking to achieve here on this earth. And listen, like I said, it, it's, God isn't opposed to greatness. He's opposed to pride. But greatness, like I said, is not about us being viewed in the eyes of those that are around us. Greatness is about being viewed in the eyes of the one who has saved us. That's how greatness should be viewed. And Scripture tells us about this humble spirit. In James 4, 6, Scripture tells us God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. In James 4.10, James continues there just a couple of verses later. He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. And we know that that humble spirit that brings about uh, the grace of God, Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God lest any man should boast. That is, that is Ephesians 2, 8, and some of 9. So we see that there. So we understand we need to have a humble spirit. So those characteristics, to have that different spirit, we need to have a submitted and converted spirit. We need to have a trusting and dependent spirit. And we need to have a humble spirit. And this is a different spirit than the natural man's spirit because that is the spirit of Jesus Christ. That's the spirit of Jesus Christ. Jesus submitted to the Father. Jesus trusted the Father with his life. And Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. He said, not my will, but thy will be done. He submitted himself and he trusted the Father to do what the Father could, was, could only do in and through him. And that is the exact same spirit we need to have. We need to be like Jesus. We need to receive a new spirit, and we need to be like a child. We need to be a child of God. 